Hello and welcome to European Pharmaceutical Reviews podcast. In this episode, we're discussing drug delivery and specifically the recent development of gastric auto-injectors with Giovanni Traverso, an assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Giovanni's research focuses on the development of next-generation drug delivery systems and biomedical devices to support new modes of drug administration. My name is Hannah Balfour. I'm the assistant editor of European Pharmaceutical Review, and I will be your host today. Biologics such as monoclonal antibodies are becoming increasingly important means to treat various conditions. In 2020, the US Food and Drug Administration approved 53 new drugs, 13 of which were biologics. Yet despite their promise, biologics present several drug delivery challenges, including that their composition makes them liable to damage in the gastrointestinal tract and requires them to be delivered intravenously or through other methods less convenient than simply swallowing a pill. How can this challenge be overcome? Well, the race for oral biologic drug delivery is on, and in this podcast, Giovanni will discuss his research into how biomedical devices may help overcome these hurdles. Hi Giovanni, thank you for joining me today. To start us off, could you tell me what your current role is and outline what your research focuses on? Absolutely. No, first of all, thank you, Hannah, and your team for inviting me to join the, the EPR Drug Delivery Podcast. So I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at MIT. I'm also on the faculty of Harvard Medical School, uh, where I'm a gastroenterologist at Brigham Women's Hospital. And I spend my time leading a diverse group of folks that uh, spend a tremendous amount of time on the engineering side, but then also uh, spend some time on the clinical side, as well as teaching. Our group is really composed of, as I mentioned earlier, a diverse set of folks. And when I say that, I mean that in, in, in a few different ways. So we have experts in mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, pharmaceutical science, sciences, uh, chemistry, material science, or physicians, veterinarians, all working to, together really to realize solutions for major challenges. And some of those challenges um, lie in the area of drug delivery. And so with respect to drug delivery, there are some major challenges that we've been working on now for several years together uh, with our collaborators, uh, both in uh, not-for-profit world, such as uh, the Gates Foundation, National Institutes of Health, the Department of Defense, um, as well as uh, industry collaborators uh, with whom we've worked very closely as well on several major challenges. And, and, you know, when we refer to challenges here in the drug delivery space, I think it's always important to think about the patient and what it is that the patient or the patient journey um, involves and what are the challenges that um, as, as patients, you know, and I think all of us at some point in our lives can go through that role. And I think sort of reflecting on those aspects is really important to appreciate the very specific challenges that we're aiming to address. So let me just touch on some of them. One of them is how to administer drugs that today require an injection. And so there are several drugs like insulin, which generally are administered through an injection. And the reason that they're administered through an injection and not orally is that when we take them orally, not much reaches the circulation and therefore those drugs don't have much of an effect. 
And the reason that they don't really reach circulation is that the actual drug itself is a protein similar to many of the things that we may eat. And therefore, our GI tracts have evolved to actually break down those materials very efficiently and or prevent their uptake because of the protective layer and environment that really lines our GI tract. So we spend a tremendous amount of time and effort really in thinking of new ways of delivering drugs that today you know, are highly restricted to, to injection. So that, I would say, is a major challenge. And again, I, I, I can't say it enough that I think one of the fundamental aspects here is thinking about the patient and how to help patients essentially receive therapies that we know can be both safe and efficacious, but we recognize people don't take them sometimes because there are barriers. That is one area that we do focus on. Great. And it's certainly patient adherence has been a massive issue for the pharmaceutical industry, whether it be antibiotics and antibiotic resistance in that way to just people failing to take the drugs that they need to maintain their health. So what emerging technologies or recent developments do you think show promise in overcoming the issue you outlined around delivering uh, biologic drugs? Absolutely. So, you know, typically when we, at least when I think of the delivery of biologics and how we can overcome those challenges, I, I generally and very broadly speaking, divide the field in two areas. And I refer to one side of the technologies as non-physical modes of delivery and then physical modes of delivery. And so let me explain what I mean. So from a non-physical perspective, what I'm referring to are molecules or additives that enhance transport across the mucosa, across that protective layer in the GI tract. And so, for example, there are a couple of peptides and smaller proteins that actually do exist in in an oral formulation. And those apply either an additive that transiently sort of enhances transport, or somehow the drug has been modified to stabilize it a little bit longer to also facilitate its uh, transport across. And sometimes we combine all of those elements to make that transport more efficient. And so that's one area. Is that also limited a little bit by size of the proteins? Because that's another issue, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think you, you certainly hit the nail on the head. I think that one of the key challenges that we see, or I should say, when we look at transport across the GI tract, even if we can enhance transport, we're able to overcome those barriers for typically with smaller proteins. So these are you know, smaller peptides, but smaller up to sort of what I would refer to as smaller proteins and even insulin, for example, there are some examples out there of delivering these molecules orally, but typically for biologics like monoclonal antibodies, then we really haven't been able to, to overcome in a reliable way, our capacity to deliver them through the GI tract in an oral form. And that's on sort of the non-physical side of things. On the physical side of technologies, those are technologies that at least the way that I typically describe them are ones that involve some kind of intervention such as, you know, traditionally uh, an injection like a hypodermic needle or a jet or ultrasound at certain frequencies can induce certain events that can help propel the drug into the tissue. And so those are some of the physical modes of delivery. 
And so that's typically how I personally sort of view the landscape at a high level. And on the physical side, we've actually been able to deliver a very broad set of molecules, including monoclonal antibodies. And one of the things we've been working on now for a few years has been exactly that with respect to applying those physical modes to challenging molecules like monoclonal antibodies. And I recently read um, a little bit about your research into developing gastro auto-injectors for antibody drug delivery. So could you tell me what these are and how they work and a little bit more about their development? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, let me take you back about 11, 12 years ago. And I was training as a gastroenterologist here at a local hospital called Massachusetts General Hospital here in Boston. And I had been called on a Friday, as it, as it often happens, to see someone who had ingested sharp objects. They actually had ingested glass. And you know, this was a, an extremely instructive case in that one of the things I learned in helping look after this person was actually the incredible tolerance that the GI tract has for the transit of sharp objects. So in this particular case, I'm, I'm not going to go into all the details, but long story short, they had ingested uh, shards of glass, but the shards were actually small enough. They were under two centimeters and we just observed them and they, they were radio opaque, so we could still see them on x-ray and we just observed them and they passed. And one of the things that I learned from the attending, you know, the senior physician who was uh, teaching me at the time was that actually if the objects are small enough that they can transit. And most of the time they transit without causing any noticeable damage. That to me was just really fascinating. And then the second piece to this is a more common case where someone comes in with an ulcer. You know, an ulcer is essentially an injury in the GI tract. We often see them, for example, on the stomach and people who've been taking a lot of drugs like ibuprofen. And in this particular situation, this is another patient who had been taking a lot of ibuprofen. There was an ulcer that was bleeding. One of the things that we do sometimes when there's active bleeding is that we inject um, the area of the ulcer with a drug, and that a drug is adrenaline or epinephrine. The reason that we inject that is to induce local vasoconstriction, which means that we're inducing essentially clamping down of the local vessels to stop the bleeding. But as soon as we inject it or within a few seconds, what we all recognize is that all of the alarms in the room start going off because the patient's heart rate has gone up um, because that drug that was injected for a local effect is immediately um, actually transiting to the heart and affecting the heart directly. So putting these elements together, you know, uh, and together with some collaborators, we started to, to put some ideas forward and actually develop the, some early concepts around capsules that had needles. And at the time, with limited resources, we were able to do some initial proof of concept experiments. And then we were left with sort of a major challenge, which was, how do we develop an ingestible auto injector, basically? And so the, that challenge can be broken up into three discrete elements. Number one, how do you ensure that the essentially the business end of this injector is always in contact with tissue? Number two, how do you autonomously trigger a drug delivery event? And number three, how do you fit enough drug in this device that Ideally, we want to be the size of a blueberry. The reason that we want that is that we recognize that that is a safe size in general for things to move through the body. If it's too big, it might get lodged and cause problems. And so those were the three things that we tackled initially in a science paper two years ago. 
um, where we described a way of having self-orientation of one of these devices. And the way that we did that was by looking at very specific shapes that were designed as well as density gradients where we had a weighted bottom essentially. And we showed that we could have these systems self-orient very quickly. Number two, for the second aspect, we looked for materials that we knew could hold or stored energy from a compressed spring. And we wanted a material that displayed brittle fracture mechanics. And you want something that essentially will, will snap you know, upon having a, a load applied to it. And we wanted a, a material that could sense a humid environment in that we settled on humidity as being the universal cue, recognizing that in general, everyone's stomach inside is humid. And so we created these sugar cylinders that could essentially have all of these elements embedded. And also we could control the time over which they would dissolve this purely by their size. And we showed that we could have those systems essentially store that energy and then give way all of a sudden to then push an actual needle that had the drug, which takes us into the third sort of discrete challenge, which was how do we fit enough drug in this form factor? And so classically, these biologics are administered in a liquid formulation. And so what we did was actually create solid formulations of biologics. And we created formulations that uh, had up to 100% insulin. And we showed that we could inject actually those very small needles into the tissue and that that drug could be absorbed. And that was sort of the initial description. But we were left with this major challenge, which was, you know, if we could deliver a fluid, you know, it opens up other potential drugs and formulations that might be delivered, but we may need to redesign this entire system. And then very recently, just a couple of months ago, we published essentially uh, the fruits of the labor of a, of a significant team. And this was a, all of this was in collaboration with our collaborators at Novo Nordisk, where we developed a self-orienting system that has the capacity to inject a liquid. And there, using that system, we demonstrated that not only could we deliver insulin, we could deliver a GLP-1 receptor analog, we could also deliver adrenaline, and we could de deliver a monoclonal antibody. And the antibody that we used was adalimumab. And so that hopefully gives you a little bit of a sense on what we've done on the physical side. Um, we've done several other things in different parts of the GI tract to explore and really develop options to this challenge. But let me pause there. I know I've been talking for quite a bit. So one of the questions I had was obviously with regards to size, as well as sort of not blocking as you it goes through the system. Also, I imagine size comes in as quite a big factor with patient adherence and actually like wanting to take it because if it's too big, it's difficult to swallow. Yes, great question. And so certainly the size from a safety perspective is one of the key parameters that we look at at many, at, you know, I would say at almost all of the ingestible devices that we're developing for the simple reason that, you know, safety comes first. So the size question, as far as what is the correct size in order to maximize safety is informed actually by a really interesting body of data. There've been over 20 FDA approved products that have used a capsule system that's referred to as the Oros system, which is an osmotic capsule system. And those are of a very specific dimension and they, have, they are solid objects. 
And given the number of FDA approved products, there's already a body of data out there that helps define the complication rate with respect to the transit of a solid object. And so what we typically use as a guide is really that body of data and trying to limit our sizing to close to the dimensions of those systems. That's in contrast to the video capsule endoscopes, which is an ingestible camera system that is also in clinical use, you know, FDA approved, um, you know, about 20 years ago now. And the dimensions of those uh, are somewhere around a centimeter, maybe a little bit under a centimeter in diameter and just under three centimeters in length. And we know also the complication rates for those. And those are somewhere, depending on which study you look at, between 0.5 to 1%. The other one has a complication rate of close to 1 in 29 million or so. And I think what, what's important is to try and appreciate this real world data that is out there to then inform some of the fundamental engineering, which is what we try and do. And so a blueberry is close to some of the, the aura systems that I was referring to. So that's sort of on the safety side. I think you raise a really interesting question, which it has to do with the ingestion or acceptability of taking a solid capsule or pill. And, you know, I can, I can share with you, I mean, over the years, when I used to practice and see patients a lot more frequently, um, I know that there are even adults have an aversion to solid uh, pills and capsules. And so, you know, you certainly raise an important point. And I think that, you know, part of the future development is really to try and understand how do we address, how do we miniaturize some of these systems even further? And what are the boundary conditions for also from an engineering perspective, right? Because at the end of the day, we also, there are certain things that we have to fit. And therefore, there's a balance between some of the engineering constraints, the acceptability constraints. And I think the other key thing here is that the alternative is an injection, right? So for the end user to appreciate that, you know, that there are options, right? And I think they'll have to balance an injection perhaps with taking a capsule every day. And that, I mean, there's a whole field that looks at sort of preferences uh, that's referred to utility analysis. And we do do some of that work too. And I, I suppose also from a sort of long-term perspective is if you're delivering something like insulin, which obviously people would have to inject multiple times a day, potentially it's a more pleasant solution for them to take a capsule, even if it is large, than actually have to inject themselves three or four or five times a day. Yes. No, I think, I, you know, I think these are really important considerations. And I think that the oral delivery of biologics, um, irrespective of the ability to do it, I think what you're introducing is, I think, critical, which is which drug is the right drug to go into these systems, right? And, and it's not that you convert every injectable. And there are drugs that I think are more amenable, perhaps, to being administered orally. You know, one, I think one of the inherent aspects of the GI tract that people also need to remind themselves of is that there's inherent variability in absorption, even of small molecule drugs, let alone from biologics, right? And so that also starts to inform the potential sort of op, quote unquote optimal drugs that might lend themselves essentially to oral delivery, right? So drugs that have a very narrow therapeutic window may not be the best, you know, and perhaps drugs that have a broader therapeutic window that have longer half-lives might 
potentially uh, synergize a little better. So I, I think it just depends on how some of the future data starts to look. And I think these are all things that we're learning. I mean, these technologies are still early. They're still they're being actively developed. And as we learn more, I think that some of these questions on, on uh, active pharmaceutical ingredient selection will also sort of come into the decision process. Absolutely. And it's always that trade-off between what we know and what we can do now versus what may be possible in the future with another 10 years of development. So you mentioned some further developments for the auto-injectors. So where are you looking to take this research next? And what sort of improvements do you think are needed or are there any remaining limitations to address? Great question. So this is work we've done in collaboration with Novo Nordisk. And so we've been working very closely with them on all of the fundamental development. And uh, they you know, are leading the efforts towards human translation. And so the first in human trials. So that's really, I would say, the next step is those first in human trials and looking at that data to really continue to inform you know, what we were just discussing, the fundamental engineering, the different molecules that can be incorporated certainly exciting to um, see where it might go in the future. But in the meantime, what are some of the other drug delivery challenges that you're currently looking at solving? Absolutely. So one of the, and you sort of mentioned this earlier, which is the adherence problem. And one of the you know enormous challenges that we have is ensuring that patients receive their medication in that for many conditions, actually, there are one there are wonderful drugs out there that can really help people. And what we recognize is that less than 50% of patients actually take their medication as prescribed. And, you know, at least in the US, for example, this sort of non-adherence or intermittent adherence that manifests in huge expenditures, you know, in excess of $100 billion annually um, in avoidable hospitalizations and healthcare costs as well as, you know, morbidity and mortality associated from disease. And so just trying to bridge that gap that exists with respect to adherence, um, you know, could have a tremendous impact in, in helping people out there. And so one of the areas that we've been working on now for, for several years is really founded in a fundamental and basic observation, which is if one is prescribed a drug that they need to take three or four times a day as compared to once a day, what we know is that people prefer taking the drug just once a day. And then actually, there have been studies out there um, in Japan and Europe and North America now looking at different drugs that do exist in other dosing intervals, such as daily, weekly, and even monthly. And what we recognize is that people prefer taking something more infrequent. And so, you know, instead of changing the individual here, what we were looking to do is seeing if we can change the actual pill, essentially. And one of the things that we did was develop a capsule that has a drug that is in the shape of a star. It's a star-based system that folds up and can fit inside of a capsule. And when you take it, that capsule dissolves and the star reveals itself. And by virtue of its shape and the mechanical properties, it can uh, stay essentially in the stomach for a prolonged period. And so this is work that uh, initially we did with the Gates Foundation, and we actually started a company called Lindra that is further developing these. And these systems now 
um, are undergoing are in multiple human clinical trials. And where we started initially in the academic setting was really looking at applications of the system for oral contraception, so a once a month oral contraceptive pill, for example, but also applications in the area of HIV as well as malaria. And the Lindra and the incredible team there have been continuing uh, the work and they've been exploring also several other areas um, such as neuropsychiatric areas. And so, you know, thinking about um, conditions where the condition, for example, may impair their capacity to adhere to uh, take medication. So that is a, is a significant area where we've contributed over the past several years and continue to, to contribute and think about, you know, the next generation of pills and capsules that can really help transform essentially the patient experience. And what do you think the future of drug delivery, particularly for biologic drugs, might look like? We often refer to a race for oral biologic drug delivery. How likely is this to sort of come to fruition, do you think? Absolutely. No, I think that the oral delivery biologics is, again, founded on the fundamental observation that people prefer taking oral medications over injections. And we, along with many people around the world, have been working um, on, on this challenge. And so I mentioned to you earlier a platform for physical modes of delivery. In addition to those, we've also developed several others, ones that you can apply orally or others that deliver the drug in the intestines. And, and sort of we've shown that we can do this in a few different ways. So I think that this provides an exciting way forward, at least on the physical side. The non-physical side, we've also done that. And so we've also been exploring now for several years how to do this. And our approach um, a few years ago was really thinking about how to model the GI tract outside of the body. And instead of t using, for example, uh, cancer cells, which are sometimes used as models, um, what we did is we obtained tissue from local abattoirs uh, where we could obtain uh, fresh tissue from pigs. And there we can use actually the pig intestine to model the uh, human intestine. And there are a lot of similarities actually from a dimension perspective, but also from the different receptors that are expressed in, in the pig. And we've shown that we can, using the system, we can predict uh, if we take, for example, insulin and mix and match it with, let's say, 3,000 or 10,000 different other ingredients, which ones are the ones that enhance transport. And that's really that high throughput or ability to do many more experiments than were previously possible allows us to search very large space of essentially a formulation to identify that optimal recipe to deliver uh, a biologic through the GI tract. And this is something that we've, we've shown, we've published, we had a paper in, in Nature, one of the Nature Journals last year on this. And we started a company actually called Vivtex that is actually developing this system for several different biologics. So that's at the biologics level, I think that there's a tremendous amount of effort, um, again, you know, from our group and others. And I think that over the next decade, we will see, you know, the fruits of, of um, our collective efforts you know, in the form of, of new therapies that can, that previously, you know, could not be delivered orally, but now can. And, and so I think that that's, you know, I think extremely exciting. And sort of as a add on to that is how important do you think biomedical devices like the ones you're developing are going to be in actually achieving this? Yeah, no, great question. So I think it depends on what the goal, if, if the goal is to deliver 
some of the molecules that are larger, exactly as you highlighted earlier, my sense is that we will need devices to achieve the levels that are comparable to those of an injection. And so that's my sense there is that having the device or devices sort of augment that aspect will likely, you know, I think they'll play a significant role. I think the other area where the devices play a role is actually in communication and monitoring. And so the devices actually have the capacity to introduce or enable detection of different signals, communication of ingestion events or dosing events. And those electronic aspects, I think, will also be ones that will be more readily incorporated into future dosage form. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time to discuss today. So thank you, Giovanni, for joining us and for your wonderful insights into drug delivery on behalf of European Pharmaceutical Review and Giovanni Traverso. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us for our next episode soon.